0: It was 400 years that Israel had been in Egypt, and after 400 years, God, through his great mercy and through his grace, actually appointed Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, and in leading them out of Egypt, he said, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to make a sacrifice, I want you to sacrifice. In fact, I want you to get together, and I want you to bring together a lamb in each one of your homes, and with that lamb, I want you to count down the days. I want you to count down for four days, and I want you to inspect that lamb for four days, and then make sure that that lamb is perfect. Make sure he is without blemish, no broken bones, make sure he is perfect, and then on the fourth day, I want you to sacrifice him. And when you sacrifice him, I want you to eat that lamb very quickly. I want you to put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of your house and on the lintel, and when I see the blood, God said, I will pass over you. The death angel will pass over you, and you will not lose your firstborn. All of Egypt, however, or at least all of those who will not paint the blood by faith on the doorposts of their house and on the lintel are going to lose their firstborn, the firstborn of the animals, the firstborn of the human beings, including Pharaoh himself. And so Moses led the people to do as God had said. It was called Passover. That was the first Passover. And 3,500 years or 2,500 years or 1,500 years later, 1,500 years or so, came another Passover. Today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about the path to Passover, but also the path to Good Wednesday. You say, Good Wednesday, what are you talking about, Good Wednesday? I've heard of Good Friday, but not Good Wednesday. Well, maybe you never heard of that before, but you are today. And I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Today, the pathway to Passover. You may recall that this last Sunday was referred to as Palm Sunday. You know that, of course, Palm Sunday. And that's the day when Jesus made his journey into Jerusalem, and he had mounted a donkey that had been prepared for him, and he made his way as the promised king of the Jews into Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. They strew palm branches in front of him, and all other kinds of branches that they could find, they strewed them in front of him to prepare the way of the king. Today on Viewpoint, we understand that you and I are to prepare the way of the king again. We're to prepare the way to Passover, you say well I already do that I I am uh, engaged in uh, periodically in communion or eucharist or so on isn't that the passover well yes that's a celebration that's a remembrance of the passover but the reality is you, you and I are to prepare the way of the king isn't that exactly what uh, the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 40 that would going to happen that God himself would send forth one like Elijah the prophet to prepare the way of the Lord? That he would call Israel to repentance, to make straight paths for their feet? That was before the first coming of Messiah. Well, then we're told Jesus himself talked to us about a second coming He talked to us about uh, a Elijah that was to come. In addition to that, behold, Elijah himself will come. I will send forth Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children of the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I should come to the earth with a curse. Well, we haven't had that second coming yet. So there's a sense in which we are to prepare the way of the king again. He came into Israel, or excuse me, into Jerusalem the first time on the back of a donkey. The second time when he comes, he's going to come as a reigning king on a white stallion. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. So today we want to talk about preparing the way the road to Passover, the pathway to Passover. And so this is a big deal. This is a much bigger deal than we might think about. It's the first feast of the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 23, we're advised of seven mohadim, or appointed times, seven feasts of the Lord. The first of those is called Passover. In fact, so important was Passover that it was actually the spiritual uh, beginning of the year begins at Passover for the Jewish people. I think they call it 5783 this year. The year 5783, the way the rabbis count from the beginning of creation. Now, that doesn't mean that their dating is correct, but that's what they count. 5783, that and so This is the Passover of 5783 from the Jewish perspective. Passover is one of the two or three main celebrations, feasts, whatever term you want to use, Moedim, the appointed times that Israel has. They carry on a Seder, a Passover Seder, which is the origin of our communion time that Many Protestants and Catholics, referring to it as the Eucharist, uh, celebrate. Some celebrate it weekly, some monthly, some annually. But the Apostle Paul said, as often as you do this, when Jesus talked about it, he said, as often as you do this, do in remembrance of me. It was not designated as to how often but as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So today we're remembering, and we're remembering the pathway to Passover. So Jesus mounted the donkey. He's on his way down across the book of Cadron, on his way up to Israel, to Jerusalem, and to the temple. Now What? What should we expect at passable. the pathway to Pass. you were to engage in a Seder, which many Christians have, you would find out that all of the various aspects, the various cups of wine, the various foods, uh, the matzah, all of these things were symbolic of something very important, a spiritual importance. The Passover itself was ultimately a symbol a foretelling of that which was to come. It wasn't the substance itself, although it was important and it was the fulfillment of uh, God's command to Moses for the Jewish people before, or the Hebrew people before they were to leave Egypt. But ultimately, it foretold something else. It foretold something far, far, far more important and significant. And that's what we want to talk about here today and perhaps understand maybe in a different way what really took place. The pathway to Passover. The multitudes who went before Jesus as he was on the back of that donkey, they followed, they cried out saying, Hosanna, meaning save us now, thou son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They cried, He was king. He was the Messiah to come. And they were all excited. But four days later, that excitement was going to wear off dramatically. It only took four days. Four days from Sunday to Wednesday. We talk about Good Friday, but actually we should be talking about Good Wednesday. If indeed it was good, It was good in one sense and horrific in another sense. So Jesus mounted up, went up across the brook Kidron, the Kidron Valley, and then all the way up to the temple. The first thing he did in his pathway to Passover was to go to the temple. And as he entered the temple, he found them, Uh, selling all of the various things that were important, necessary for the uh, sacrifices and so on that were to be fulfilled in Passover. And so he was agitated beyond measure. In other words, he was angry. Jesus was angry. And he saw what they were doing and how they were using the temple and the surrounding court as a commercial enterprise, and he was not happy. And so he began to turn over the tables of the money changers and cried out, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. That was the first thing he did on his path to Passover. After riding that donkey and they cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then at the end of that four days, he would tell his disciples, I will not drink again of the vine until my people are ready to say, Blessed again is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what happened in those four days? Well, in those four days... Israel was preparing for the Passover. In fact, the people, all the families in Israel, were preparing a lamb. They had to select a lamb. They had to select a lamb that was without blemish. They had to select a lamb that did not have broken legs. It didn't have uh, it didn't have any defects whatsoever. And they were to fellowship with that lamb for four days. So in four days, you could well understand that cute little lamb, uh, that cuddly little lamb that uh, the family was embracing and watching over and checking out. They gathered a certain amount of affection for that lamb. Just as Israel, in many respects, gathered a certain amount of affection for the Lamb of God, Yeshua, Jesus, as he was with them for three and a half years, teaching and preaching and doing miracles and doing the will of the Father. And they began, some of them at least, began to have a certain amount of affection for him until until it came time for Passover. So during the period of time, after Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers and uh, uh, scurried them all out of there, the leaders became very, very upset because he was upsetting their apple carts or their dove carts or whatever they happened to be. He was upsetting their tradition. He was upsetting their business as usual. And, of course, if something was to be marketed there at the temple, you can be well assured that the religious leaders, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, were going to get something out of it. So they were upset because a commercial enterprise was being interfered by Jesus, the Passover lamb. You say the Passover lamb. Yes, Jesus came to Jerusalem on the back of the donkey to be the lamb of God, to fulfill all of the promises of the Passover. He was to become the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. So when Jesus, you'll recall, came to be baptized three and a half years earlier, John the Baptist said to the people around, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was not a Lamb. He was the Lamb. He was the ultimate lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And the only way he could take away the sins of the world is if he was a perfect lamb, one without blemish. And isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul talks about our relationship with the Lord. And he's talking it also about it in the context of our marriages. And he says that he's not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. In other words, he expects you and I to be as blameless as a human being can be. He expects you and I to be inspected by the Father as blameless. Blameless. I know that's a hard concept to come across, but that's exactly what the Scripture says, and that's why Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as I am perfect. As the Father in heaven is perfect, be ye therefore perfect. Now, he knows we're not perfect, but he also expects that we follow in his steps, He was the perfect Lamb of God, and we are to follow in his steps, being perfected, being cleansed from all wickedness, all evil, all malice, all guile, all bitterness, all anger, and so on. And we're being inspected. Now, for four days... Four days, Jesus was being inspected by Israel. Just as they were inspecting their lambs to make sure, with these lambs, four days in their presence, in their homes, to make sure that they would qualify as the Paschal Lamb or Passover Lamb. So during that period of time, Jesus made his way through Jerusalem. And he began to talk to them in parables, stories. He began to tell them about preparing, preparing for his coming, his second coming. Many of his parables were about his second coming, and almost all, the majority of his parables and his stories that we read about actually were told in four days. During those four days, actually only about three and a half days, as he was being inspected, he was actually conveying to Israel who he really was and who he intended, who God intended them to be. And they were to inspect him to see if there was any blemish in him. Are you beginning to get the picture? So, Jesus is on his way to Passover. It's the pathway to Passover. He comes in on Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. It's called the triumphal entry, but it would end in crucifixion. Doesn't sound like much of a triumph, except if you understand the spiritual significance, you realize that the crucifixion had to take place so that he could triumph over death in a resurrection. That's our only hope. Because if in the in this life only we have hope, we're of all people most miserable. We're in Egypt. And God had to take his people out of Egypt. The problem is he couldn't get Egypt out of them. As you read the scriptures, you find out that God with a mighty hand took his people out of Egypt... all those 10 plagues to attack the uh, the spiritual idols so to speak that Egypt trusted in hoping that ultimately they would trust in him there may have been a few egyptians that came with the hebrews as they crossed over the red sea and toward the promised land or into the wilderness there was a mixed multitude the bible says but only those who would paint the blood of the lamb, the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, on the doorposts of their house and on the lintel above. The rest of them were going to be in deep trouble, judged by God. They were in the spirit of Egypt. Now, before we go further, seeing that we're talking about Egypt, I want to make available to you my book, Out of Egypt. Out of Egypt... If you have not read this book, you may not have a full understanding of the implications of what that meant to come out of Egypt. Because in reality, you cannot understand, it's impossible to understand even the New Testament without understanding what it means to come out of Egypt. And don't think it means that you're entering into the realm of salvation And the promised land, because it doesn't mean that at all. Because there were 600,000 men, plus, depending on who you're talking to, maybe another million and a half women and children who came out of Egypt. They came out of Egypt, but they didn't make it to the promised land. Those who were adults, 20 years of age and older, who came out of Egypt, did not make it to the promised land. That's what the Bible says. They all died in the wilderness because they, while coming out of Egypt, God could not get the spirit of Egypt out of them. And the rest of the story is the real story. The book, Out of Egypt, This, perhaps, is one of the most important uh, understandings in order to prepare the way of the Lord in your life for history's final hour, and I want to make the book available to you, $15 on our website, Out of Egypt. My wife happens to think it's one of the most powerful books I've ever written. Other people have said the same thing. I know one guy out there in San Francisco, a postman, told me that his father had read the book, in fact, he had read it seven times. Why? Because it is so absolutely loaded with the significance to help us understand the whole account of the Bible in the New Testament out of Egypt. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call 1 800 SAVE USA. That's 1 800 SAVE USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Bonk, 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, and I do not think you will be disappointed. The spirit of Egypt has its tentacles around us as professing Christians in this country. We're wallowing in the spirit of Egypt, even our churches. That's the wilderness, my friends. If we have any hope of getting to the promised land, we better understand what it means to come out of Egypt. For over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, the words out of Egypt or similar words can be found. We'll be right back. The Pathway to passage.
1: Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint as we talk about the pathway to Passover and Good Wednesday. Yep, repeated it again, Good Wednesday. You'll have to hang in there to understand what we're talking about here today on Viewpoint. And I don't want you to forget it. So Jesus has entered Jerusalem, he's already gone into the temple and declared it to be his house. They made it his house, they made it their house, he says, No, this is my house. I made it a called it a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. So he begins now to teach the people through parables and to perform a variety of other miracles. But during that period of time, in the next three days, the people of Israel are preparing their lamb. They're watching over their lamb for the Passover to make sure it's without blemish. Otherwise, it's invalid. It doesn't serve its purpose. God doesn't want their second best. He wants their first best, a lamb without blemish. And so they're watching the lamb, and they're preparing their lambs, and they're preparing, going through all of the things that are necessary to prepare for the Passover, to commemorate their coming out of Egypt, the beginning of their spiritual year as a people. Their secular year begins in the fall. But their spiritual year begins at Passover. And they say this is year 5783. Whether or not it is, that's what they say. Because it appears that the counting is off significantly. But we don't know exactly how much it is off. Some people think they can figure it out, but that's not going to help us very much. Because no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's coming. But we are supposed to know the season, the general season of time for the final, well, fulfillment of Passover. Now, Passover was fulfilled, as we know, on Good Wednesday. But there's a, the purpose of the Passover is yet to come. That is, the final intended purpose of the Passover is yet to come. So the people are preparing their lambs, and Jesus is preparing the people of Israel while they're setting aside the lamb, and they're preparing all of the necessary food, whether it's unleavened bread. Remember about the unleavened bread that today they call matzah, you see. And so they had to cleanse all their cupboards. They had to remove all leaven from their homes and be very diligent about doing it. And that represents you and I getting rid of all the sin out of our lives that weighs us down. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said, that we should lay aside every sin, every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us? and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the Paschal Lamb, as our Savior? Yeah. So we're to put aside, get rid of all that sin, all the leaven that keeps us in the spirit of Egypt. But Israel didn't want to get rid of all that. But then they knew they had to get rid of all that, so they had a tension, a tension between what they knew they should do and the things that they knew they wanted to do. Isn't that the tension that you and I live in all the time? It's called the battle of the flesh against the spirit. Do you think they were all excited about getting rid of all the leaven in their house and so on? I don't think so. On the other hand, it became a national feast and celebration, and so they did, collectively. Everything had to be perfect. Perfect for the Passover. Because after the Passover would come the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was going to last for seven days. So there was no leaven that they could rely upon for cooking, for eating, for seven days after the Passover. Now, today, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is kind of amalgamated together with the word Passover, so it's all basically referred to as Passover. But in reality, it's two feasts of the Lord. The first, Passover, the second, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Those are the first two of the spring feasts, followed by. Followed by what happened on. The Sabbath. Following the Passover. You say what? Well, wait a minute! Wait a minute! the The Sabbath following the Passover. Yes, yeah, the Sabbath following the Passover. That's when. Yeshua rose from the dead. And we're going to find out that this pathway leads us to a wrong timing. We believe a wrong timing for 2,000 years. Most have believed a wrong timing. And one of the reasons we believe a wrong timing is because we just don't believe what the Bible says. We've missed the true import of the Scriptures, because timing is important. Now, you might not think it's important, but God does. And the Feasts of the Lord were were a way to set the Hebrew calendar or the Jewish calendar until the fulfillment of each one of the seven Feasts of the Lord. And the first is Passover. That's why we have to follow its path. Because if we don't follow its path, then we miss the rest of the path. And so, Jesus is talking to them about the end of the age. He talks to them about, about uh, the second coming. He talks to them about what's going to happen at the end of the world. His disciples come to him two days before his crucifixion, and so this is after he's been in Israel, in Jerusalem now, for about two days after he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and his disciples come to him on the Mount of Olives and say, Master, what would be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And he said, Take heed that no man deceive you. That was the first thing he said. And, of course, after that, he said, and by the way, many are going to come in my name and to see many. There are going to be wars, rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes all over the place, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. Now, when did Jesus say that? He said that about two days, two and a half days, after he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So he came into Jerusalem on Sunday, the first day of the week, because they had been resting on the Sabbath. Not a Sabbath, but the Sabbath. we got to get this thing right now. we got to get this thing right. We're on the pathway to the Passover. And then on... Tuesday evening, late Tuesday evening, it appears that Jesus was again with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He had already had his Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. They had prepared in advance. Jesus had asked them to prepare. He knew what was coming, He knew that he had been anointed as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, that he was the ultimate Passover Lamb. So they had to have this Passover just before Israel was offering their Lamb. So he did. And afterward, we know that Judas went out to betray him, We know also that he and his disciples ended up on the Mount of Olives, which was a very common place for him to go. And that's where he was betrayed. And so he was led. He was led from the Mount of Olives by the betrayers, the messengers, the soldiers from the high priest, and taken to the home of the high priest, for trial. This was Tuesday night, and early on Wednesday morning, remember there's an awful lot that's happened in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, an awful lot, all the teaching, all the preaching, the healing, the parables, all of this has occurred in a period of about three years. Days. And so Jesus is led away to the home of the high priest for trial. And they try him in the wee hours of the morning. And ultimately they declare him a blasphemer worthy of death. It's now Wednesday morning. On Wednesday morning, he is led early on, very early Wednesday morning, by the high priest and the Sanhedrin and all of their henchmen that were going to follow to Pontius Pilate. So early in the morning on Wednesday, he's standing before Pontius Pilate as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world and he's about to be killed, crucified. He's about to be slaughtered as the Passover Lamb just as the rest of Israel is preparing to slaughter their lambs that they have been observing for four days. So on the fourth day, when Israel has determined that their lambs are worthy to be sacrificed as the Passover lamb, Pontius Pilate makes this amazing declaration. I find no fault in him.
1: But the same can be found right now. Go to SaveUs.org and click Sell Church. We can revive 1st century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's SaveUs.org. Click Sell Church.
0: And so, my friends, we're on the pathway to Passover. And early on Wednesday morning... Jesus finds himself veritably in shackles before Pontius Pilate, and they're crying to crucify him, and he said, why should I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. So Pontius Pilate looks at Jesus and talks to him, and Jesus doesn't respond to all of the accusations, which is shocking to Pontius Pilate, Because as a lamb opens not his mouth, so it was told that Jesus would not open his mouth in defense. So, we find Pontius Pilate now saying, well, wait a minute, are you really a king? Because they're saying that Jesus is a traitor, treasonous traitor to Caesar. Jesus said, no, I, my kingdom is not of this world. I just came to bear witness to the truth. So Pontius Pilate mockingly says, what is truth? Come on, what's truth? And we're saying the same thing today. We're mocking similarly today on the edge of Passover that begins tonight. All over the world, it begins tonight. And so, Pontius Pilate washed his hands, said, I I, I find no fault in this man. In other words, a Gentile judge declared him to be without blemish. So he said, you take to yourselves the responsibility. They said, we can't, we can't kill a man. We can't crucify a man. We don't have any authority to do that. You're the representative of Caesar and of Rome. You're the one that has the authority to do that. He said, okay, I give you the permission. Now go do it. So he sent his soldiers to do that. And so they make their way up the Via Della Rosa and... He's crucified. He's crucified just as the people are preparing to slay their lambs for Passover. Get a picture of this now. This is all the biblical picture. We need to understand the fullness of this to grasp the significance, the full significance of it. So it's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon that finally Jesus has died. There was a great earthquake. The veil of the temple was rent in two. And the centurion who was carrying on the crucifixion said, certainly this was the Son of God. Israel didn't say that, but it was a Gentile Roman centurion who declared that. And so they took his body down, Joseph of Arimathea, took his body down. Remember, we're still on the pathway to the fullness of Passover because the people have not yet had their Passover meal. They're in the period of time called the Preparation of, this, of a Sabbath, a Sabbath preparation. Now, what is a Sabbath preparation? Well, the Passover was deemed to be a Sabbath day, not the Sabbath day, the seven-day Sabbath, but a Sabbath day. We get so confused. We don't read the Bible straightly. We don't read it with understanding, and tradition has completely taken over the truth, and today you're hearing the truth. So Jesus was taken down at three o'clock in the afternoon because the Sabbath, the the A Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath was coming on, as the Scripture said, and they could not have a dead body hanging on the tree as the Passover Sabbath day came on. It would have defiled their whole Passover. So here they were willing to kill the Passover lamb, the real Passover lamb, but continue on with their tradition, which they did. So Jesus was buried in the tomb secured by Joseph of Arimathea just before sundown on Wednesday. Not Friday, Wednesday. After four days that the Lamb, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, had come into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, Palm Sunday, four days later, he was crucified. Just as the people were preparing to slaughter their lambs. So he's in the grave. From Wednesday night to Thursday night. From Thursday night to Friday night. How many days is that, friends? That's two days, right? And from Friday night to Saturday night. So he was resting in the grave on the Sabbath. Not a Sabbath, the Sabbath, Saturday the seventh day of the week, just as the scripture said. So he's in the grave for three days and three nights, just as Jesus had said, as it was with Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall it be with the Son of Man, who shall spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. You don't have to make any gymnastic computations to arrive at three days and three nights in the earth, in the grave. Our teachers and our preachers have had it all wrong. We apparently didn't agree with what God said or didn't understand it because when God says something about timing, he means it. We don't have to reconstruct it or deconstruct it or remodel it in order to fit our fancy or our traditions. And so the Bible says that very early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible doesn't say when that was other than it was very early on the first day of the week. In other words, the eighth day after Jesus walked in or rode into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. Good Wednesday is when he was crucified. Good Sunday is when he rose again. He was in the grave at least until sundown on Saturday. The Hebrew or Jewish day begins at sundown. So somewhere between sundown on Saturday and the rising of the sun on Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. So that very early in the morning on Sunday, when Mary came to the tomb, it was very early. Very early. It might have been 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. And friends, that's where we get the idea of a sunrise service. That's where it comes from. And so we sing a song. Up from the grave he arose with a triumph over his foes. He arose a victor over the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. That is the pathway, friends. The pathway to the Passover ended on Good Wednesday. The pathway to the resurrection ended three days later on Sunday morning. Now, between those times we find the full implication of the entire picture of coming out of Egypt. The implications of the life of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, as the Passover lamb, who would take away the sin of the world, but also who would become our healer, who would become our provider, who would become our Jehovah Rapha, our Jehovah Jireh, our Jehovah Shema, our Jehovah... All of those names of Jesus were made manifest as the children of Israel came out from Egypt after the Passover, on their way toward the promised land that most of them never got to. Are you beginning to get the significance of this? So we can celebrate the Passover, we can celebrate communion, we can celebrate the first of feast of first fruits which is the next one after Passover and unleavened bread. But the reality is that most people live at the place of the Passover and never get rid of the sin through the season of unleavened bread. And so their lives are characterized by rebellion, and stubbornness, and pride, and unforgiveness, and so on. And from God's perspective, they may have celebrated the Passover, but they're still in Egypt. Still in the spirit of Egypt. No wonder, over 400 times from Genesis to Revelation, the words out of Egypt or similar words can be found. This is the number one overarching story, account, revelation of God in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Because in Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, we find that the two great witnesses then in the end times were spending three years warning Israel, warning the whole world to prepare the way of the Lord just as Elijah was to, or Elijah and then John the Baptist were to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, there are two great witnesses. We're not going to talk about who they are now. Two great witnesses who, for three years, are doing just that. And they're going to be hated just like Yeshua was hated by the religious leaders of his day. And they're going to attempt to kill these two witnesses. And God will protect them, just like he protected Yeshua for three years. And then, after three years, God will lift his protective hand, just as he did over Yeshua, and allow their bodies to be killed. And here's what it said in Revelation 11, verse 8, concerning that. Their bodies will lie in the street, singular, of that city, singular, which is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. Oh, my friend, you must go and read that passage. When I read it years ago, it was that passage that gave rise to my book out of Egypt. I said, Lord, what does this mean? Jesus was crucified both in Sodom and Egypt. I thought he was crucified in Jerusalem. From God's viewpoint, they were all the same. Why? Because the people never truly came out of Egypt. Have you? Don't answer too quickly. Out of Egypt, a fifteen-dollar book, yours for fifteen dollars. Actually, it's twenty dollars. Fifteen dollars. On our website, saveus.org, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5 for most. and become a partner, friends. And let's prepare the way for the Passover and the way of the You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.